1: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
0: Today's buzz, business risk. It's a fact of life today for your company and for every company. Are you being kept awake at night by the specter of product liability, cyber and physical security, fraud, theft, regulatory compliance failure, plant breakdowns, lower-than-forecast revenues and other risks? OMG, it's a nightmare waiting to happen. Well, if it hasn't happened to you yet, I can almost guarantee it will one day. The experts speak, and I've got a great panel for you today. Paul Albert from Albert Investments says... A wise, battle-hardened senior investment banker once told me, quote, we're in the business of taking risks with the objective of creating value for our shareholders while serving our clients' interests. So I don't mind taking risks. But when I take risks, I want to understand what they are, why I'm taking them, and how to reduce them or get out of them, unquote. Great quote from Paul Albert. I'll be asking him to tell me more, and I want to know exactly who this battle-hardened senior executive was. We're also joined today by Nola Masterson from Science Futures Management Company. And Nola shares a quote from James B. Conant. The quote is, Behold the turtle. He makes progress only When he sticks his neck out. Great quote from Nola, and she'll be telling us what this has to do with business risk. And rounding out our panel is Brian Barnier from Value Bridge Advisors. And Brian says, what do a winning basketball team and a company with consistently higher returns have in common? Hmm, they have the ability to ask, what if... More insightfully than their opponents. Great quote. And Brian will be with us in just a moment. So thanks for joining us for Board Risk Oversight. What are regulators saying? Stay t- tuned with us for the next hour. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, producer and host of Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Delighted to be here. And by the way, if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Before I introduce my esteemed panel, I'm just going to share a little bit of information with my Game Changer listeners. Are you looking for for enterprise-grade mobile apps that deliver secure information Of course that's what you want secure information when and where you need it download our free aberdeen group white paper on secure delivery of corporate email business intelligence bi dashboards and customer inventory and sales data go to our page on the business channel look for any banner click it and you're going to go to a page with lots of free offers including this one and that's for my special game changers listeners now let me tell you about my panel First, I'll introduce Paul Albert. He's the chairman of Albert Investments and an experienced director of public and private companies, including chairmanships of audit, compensation, finance, governance, operating and risk committees. For over 30 years, Paul has been an international investment banker and finance and capital market advisor. Paul Albert. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. How are you today?
2: Okay. Thanks, Bonnie. I'm uh, really uh, glad to be here. Looking forward to talking about the topics of of risk and reward uh, that I think we're going to be talking about. I think uh, it's really a great topic uh, uh, for all of us.
0: Very, very timely, and you certainly have great background in this. So, Paul, I'm delighted you could join us, and let's turn to my second guest on the panel. Nola Masterson is the Managing Director of Science Futures Management Company, LLC. It's a 30-year-old investment and advisory firm. Nola is a biotechnology industry leader. want to talk to her more about that later, and a successful visionary thinker with over 40 years of business experience in the life sciences industry and venture capital investments. Welcome, Nola Masterson how are you today I'm fine Bonnie and
3: I'm thrilled to be with you all today
0: Wonderful. I want to know when we get deeper into our roundtable. I want to talk about what the, the risks in biotech sounds to me like that would be one of the risk leaders as far as business goes. So we'll talk about that. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today, Nola. And rounding out the panel is Brian Barnier. Barnier, Barnier Mr. Barnier is a business leader focused on corporate performance and valuation from the investor perspective. That's why it's so important we have Brian with us today. He's a co founder of Value Bridge Advisors. And Analyzing corporate performance and risk to valuation. Brian is currently a board member of a healthcare organization. Previously, he held roles at IBM and Lucent Technologies. Brian, welcome to Financial Excellence. How are you today?
4: I'm great and glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation.
0: Wonderful. Terrific. I'm I'm so happy when I get a panel with such deep expertise and great experiences, and you all have so different, varied backgrounds. This is going to make a great conversation. So everybody put your seatbelt on. We're going to take a deep dive, or maybe I should say your mask on. We're going to take a deep dive into your quotes and find out what you were thinking when you sent them to me. So, Mr. Paul Albert, who is this battle-hardened senior investment banker who said, hey, we're taking risks. That's our business. I don't mind it as long as I know what." they are why I'm taking them how can I reduce them or even better get out of them tell me about your experience with this person paul albert
2: well okay i'll name it, it was uh, jim gann who headed the whole capital markets uh, operation at prudential securities and this usually came up when we investment bankers were in competition with with goldman with morgan stanley and everybody and everybody would be wanting to get the business and maybe bending a little bit to cut the fees or take a little bit more underwriting risk. And, I mean, that was always the thing. He said, look, if, if I'm going to take all these risks, tell me, are your clients going to give us the profitable business and so forth and guarantee that we're going to eventually make money? And, of course, the answer was usually no, but he was a, he was a guy who – always was making pragmatic decisions, and a lot of times you had to take a lot of risk uh, in the investment banking business. But I always remember that because, I mean, it really raises the issue that uh, I think all of us uh, say that in business you take risk, and and, uh, you got to get the rewards for taking the risk, and you got to think about that. But uh, sometimes uh, the risks materialize. You know, you lose money sometimes, you make money sometimes. And um, I think that's really the important uh, thing to remember about enterprise risk management. You know when I was serving on public company boards, that's a hot topic, enterprise risk management. but you got to think about and identify the risks as much as you can, decide which ones you can take, which ones you won't take, and then you got to decide, okay, if the risks happen, what are we going to do about it? because uh, that's part of business. you got to do planning in all kinds of situations, both the upside and downside. So I always remember what he said and I think that's I think it's an important thing for any business person to remember.
0: Okay, I was thinking as you were speaking, Paul, I'm thinking of the famous lyrics from Kenny Rogers, The Gamblers, Know When to Hold 'em Know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. And the, the idea of risk, as you say, is inherent in business. You start a new business, a company. You even take a job with a company. You sign on, whether it's a startup or, or an established company. There's always going to be some kind of risk involved. And I think that's the fun. That's the challenge. I don't know. Maybe it's the, the entrepreneurial spirit of taking on something that is a challenge, and business is always uncertain. It's never a guarantee. So we have a lot more to speak with you about. Thanks for sharing the story, Paul. And let's turn to NOLA, NOLA from Science Futures Management Company. NOLA, you quoted James B. Conant. You said, behold the turtle. He makes progress only when he sticks his neck out. Is that that entrepreneurial spirit we're talking about, NOLA?
3: That's exactly what it is, Bonnie. Only I change the he to a she. Because I used that quote to launch Science Futures 30 years ago when the biotech industry was just a baby and nobody thought it was going to be uh, anything. And I said, you know, at this point in time, I should step up to the plate. So that was my quote of why I started Science Futures. I, I saw the industry actually as a mother would see a newborn baby needing a lot of, uh, a lot of hands, uh, and, and it takes a village, you know. So the risk was daily, hourly, minute by minute uh, in those days, but it hasn't changed very much, Bonnie. The biopharmaceutical industry begins with risk, and the business model really never gets away from it. So
0: the Nola, companies would you needs
3: to th- apply some kind of risk aversion, but yes. uh, that, that's uh, aversion that's in, in trying to get the scientific data that you need to prove your, your concept and then to have it work uh, well enough in humans to find their way to the market. And that's all very risky.
0: Well, Nola, you started this 30 years ago, so obviously if risk was a problem and it was keeping you awake at night, you've probably managed, you, you look great in your picture, so you must have managed to get some sleep along the way. Uh, is risk something you feel you live with every single day still after 30 years, or are your, your <laughs> aversion methods and your measures and your your dealing and coping and managing risk, does that make it a little easier after all this time? Or does it depend on what market you're in, what's going on around the world? Just give me a brief idea. I think risk is, a, is an omnipresent factor of life. Mm-hmm. I think you take a risk when you
3: start your car in the morning or you step off the street in New York City. You know, it's just something that you you learn to live with. It's like a mother uh, of a newborn child. You you live with guilt because you're not doing enough for the baby or you're not doing enough for your career. You just learn to live with the, both of those things, and they they don't go away. You just you you just you just deal with them as they come up and as they need solutions. You figure it out. You know, people risk, product risk, technology risk are all paramount in all high-tech ventures.
0: That 's right, and the old quote, and forgive me for this, if you can 't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen exactly. thank you nola we've a lot to talk to you about. I just love the turtle quote here in I live in Great Neck by the way, on Long Island on the north shore, and the giraffe is our mascot, and they talk about sticking your neck out that 's our big, tall neck, and the giraffe never gets to hide, so that 's our mantra for a hey, stick your neck out for great Neck, just an interesting parallel. Brian Barnier from Value Bridge Advisors, you went into the sports realm and the quote you said what do a winning basketball team and a company with consistently higher returns have in common the ability to ask what if more insightfully than their opponents so we're talking about predicting the risk brian talk to me
4: yeah absolutely i mean this is all forward looking and that's you know a a huge distinction between a lot of what passes for risk out there that's you know backward looking compliance audit kind of stuff Uh, you know the accuracy of recording events that already happen completely different from sticking your neck out uh, that that Paul uh, Nola mentioned and Paul mentioned earlier on, where well, we're sitting back and saying, what's going to happen? And it's all about understanding the environment that we're operating in, as your question led to, and the capabilities that we have to address that. And that's why sports is such a fantastic way to talk about it. You know, pick your favorite sport. But you've got some kind of playing field, and you've got the weather, and then you've got the players, two teams, you know, with different capabilities. And then you've got, you know, throw in sickness and injuries to it. The quality of training, the playbook, the ability of people to pivot and turn and, and to seize on opportunity when it comes along. It's just a you know, fantastic metaphor uh, for the, the whole notion that we're talking about here. You've got to be uh, out there and moving forward.
0: Thank you, Brian. That's great. And I'm I'm looking at your quotes here in my notes, and very interesting. We're talking about the battle-hardened senior investment banker from Paul. We're talking about the turtle sticking her neck out from NOLA. And we're talking about this winning basketball team. I don't think we've ever had three quotes that were quite so colorful in terms of covering the entire playing field, if you will. And today we're talking about board risk oversight. What are regulators saying? We're going to get back and figure out what the regulators are saying. Who are they? What's the DNA of these regulators? Who's telling them what to say and do? And how are our three esteemed panelists coping with it in their industries or as they look at other industries? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Financial Excellence with Game Changers presented by SAP. When we come back, we'll find out what my panelists are drinking today. You know that coffee cup thing we do. We'll be right back. Don't even think of Touching That App. Brad out.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers.
0: And it's time to find out what's in my guests' cups today. So, Paul Albert, my first guest on the panel, where are you calling from? What time of day is it, Paul? I'm and the- what are you drinking?
2: Okay, well, I'm in my home office in South Salem, New York, and it's almost one thirty here. So, I'm I'm not drinking my normal coffee, but I am uh, drinking Sobe Fuji Pear Life Water, and. Uh, <laughs> I, it, 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 It's a good. First of all, it's a good thing for people who still work out like I do, in spite of my age. But the interesting thing about SoBe, which uh, you know is is South Beach, which is now owned by PepsiCo, but it was founded by John Bello, a fellow Eagle Scout of mine. John, we had speak at one of our Eagle Scout dinners about uh, uh, six months ago. And he's a very entrepreneurial type, and so forth. But uh, just because the beverage industry, uh, which I've had a lot of experience both as investment banker and investor, you don't think of it as a risky industry. But when you start getting into the beer, wine, spirits area, you get into a lot of regulatory risks and a whole bunch of things. So, I mean, yes. we could even use this maybe in our our talk today of some of the elements of risk, uh, um, so that's the re- reason I thought it was quite relevant to mention the, the, the sobe uh, fuji pear water, which is great, by the way.
0: I love it. I have to try it. I'm going to go look in a supermarket near me and see if I can get some. Thank you, Paul. Love the story. Nola, my friend, what are you drinking today, and where are you calling from?
3: I'm calling you from beautiful Woodside, California, where we have a div- It's divine weather today. It's going to be 75 degrees and sunny. So for those of you in the snow belt still, I feel for you. But (laughs) I am drinking what I always drink in the morning. It's about 1030, Earl Grey tea, which is a tea blended with a distinctive flavor and aroma that comes from the addition of oil that's extracted from the rind of the bergamot orange, which is a fragrant citrus fruit. And like my career in biotech, I am a big believer in the power of fragrance to alter your mood. And I always feel better if I have Earl Grey tea. There's something in the flavor of the bergamot oil that is a mood enhancer. For me, I add a little bit of stevia, which uh, is a uh, non-caloric sweetener, and a drop and of milk to bind the tannins, which are in tea, so that I don't have um, problems with my teeth. And that's wow. why I drink
0: it. That's that's some story there. I am a big fan of Earl Grey tea as well, Nola, and I wasn't sure what that wonderful fragrance was. So thanks for talking about the bergamot Orange. I appreciate that. I, there's just something about the scent of Earl Grey that lights up the room. I, I wish they – you know, Nola, here's an idea. We could go into business and make Earl Grey scented candles. What do you think? I think they're already there, Bonnie. <laughs> Are they really? I, I think Dorn. we can get them. But if you, we might want to talk to, to
3: the colonial candle makers. I think they're Anyway. Or,
0: or a Yankee or somebody. Yeah, I was yeah. I was willing to take a risk and go into the Earl Grey Candle business. Darn! And now <laughs> let's ask Brian Barnier. what are you drinking today, Brian? And where are you calling from, please?
4: I am in uh, Connecticut, sharing the, uh, the the poor weather with you and Paul, and yes. so very jealous of Nola. They, uh, we're coffee today, and and Paul is a fascinating guy who you know is a great student of history and knows Latin and. Paul, I really expected you to go into the history of high risk coffee making, which has uh, you know centuries of of risk involved with it around the world, and in current issues today. So yeah, it's, it's a great way to to have our conversation.
0: This this is great. These are wonderful stories. I appreciate your energy, everyone. And and uh, I'm going to take a non-risk here, and I'm going to go into the roundtable, and let's get going on our serious topic, which is business risk and what are regulators saying. I want to start with Paul Albert from Albert Investments. Paul, you have an interesting way of dividing risk into categories from some of the information you sent me before the show. I'm going to do a quick overview of what you told me. I want to discuss it with you, and then we're going to invite Nola and Brian to join us. I want to see if they agree so you're telling me Paul you say business enterprises have numerous risks and I'll just go over this quickly some are obvious Even easily identifiable, and some could even be quantifiable. Then you say some can be mitigated by insurance redundancy controls and actions. Okay, and here's the the crux I really want to get to, but routine risks of the business can be devastating, and some risks are subtle, more difficult to identify, and permanently damaging and catastrophic. My head is bursting with this damaging catastrophe here. So, Paul, tell me, can you give us some examples of these different, uh, we'll call the spectrum of identifiability, mitigatability, and devastating ability of of the risks, give us an idea of what you're talking about, and then we'll have everybody join us. go ahead, please
2: oh okay well I mean I, I think that this is the thing and I, you know a lot of this enterprise risk management came out of the Enron situation, which was clearly an accounting fraud kind of situation and, and worldcom as well. And you know you, there was a lot of focus on the regulatory side and the, and Sarbanes Oxley uh, uh, on on the audit side of it and and I mean those are certainly risks. And my experience as a director is you know you know most companies are honest. The boards are very uh, uh, good at at doing their job. The auditors are good at doing their job. And fraud risk is th- always there. You've got to control it. You have to have internal controls. But that's not what brings companies down in most cases. Uh, and uh, so I think that people, in some cases the regulators, really miss the forest uh, uh, or for the trees for the forest. And that is that the real risks are, first of all, operating. And, and those can come out of nowhere, as somebody like BP saw I mean, obviously, when you drill oil wells, uh, there is some risks of blowouts and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure BP's board thought they were doing a good enterprise risk management, and the management probably thought so, too. But there, there's little things that creep up in the whole communications and sort of incentive plans and so forth. J.P. Morgan, the recent big whale, is a good example. Those... Those are normal routine risks of the business, drilling uh, wells for oil companies, uh, trading risks for for financial institutions. But all of a sudden, you had a huge risk uh, that almost destroyed the company. And BP and, and J.P. Morgan, they were big enough to survive. But uh, – that's what really worries you if you're on the board of directors. So you think that you're controlling and identifying risks, but they turn out to be bigger than expected, and they come from places you never really thought they would come from, or or you thought they, that you had identified it. So uh, I think the more subtle ones are the longer-term strategic risks, and I think. Uh, uh, I mentioned like General Motors uh, and Eastman Kodak uh, probably is a really good example where Mm -hmm. uh, they actually had the digital uh, uh, photo technology, and they they sort of ignored it, didn't do anything with it, stuck really trying to preserve the silver uh, uh, photography business. And ultimately, uh, the more entrepreneurial people took the digital technology and developed it and bypassed them and basically drove Eastman Kodak into bankruptcy. So, I mean, I think that's a, a pretty good example of uh, long-term strategic risks being not properly identified by the board and the management. I, I, I mean, I don't know exactly what happened. Fortunately, mm-hmm. I didn't own any stock in Eastman Kodak. But, but uh, these are the kind of risks that, as a board member, we really worry much more about. I mean, you have to focus on those short-term operating risks. And sure, if you're on the audit committee, you focus on internal controls and so forth. But that's the easy part of managing risk. The really uh, creative part of understanding risk is thinking about what, what's our business going to be like in five years. And that's very, mm-hmm. very difficult to, to sometimes figure out where your industry is going to be.
0: Thank you, Paul. I want to bring Nola into this. Nola, do you want to take this from the perspective of the biopharmaceutical industry in which you specialize? And do you agree with Paul about some risks are easy, they're right there, you can put numbers and faces to them and others, I don't know, they're just going to creep up on you no matter how clairvoyant you are or how diligent you are? What do you think, Nola? Well, I agree with Paul that
3: you can you can know what your risks are, it doesn't mean that you can always... Uh, you always know where you are on the scale of how risky they are. The mm-hmm. biotech and the pharmaceutical companies today face a, a, an ever-increasing burden of managing risk, and they have to comply with myriad regulations, and those regulations are moving targets as each Congress changes and the, and the requirements change. So a, a typical business challenge today might include managing multiple supply chain members and increased competition. Then there's pricing challenges from the competition or patents that are no longer viable, so you go to generics. And then what are they going to be reimbursed at, and what are the government policies going to be tomorrow? You might know what they are today, but what are they going to be in three years? Then they have the environmental, the health, and the safety risks of dealing with, with all kinds of toxic chemicals, which are sometimes part of this industry, and managing reputation risk. Uh, Many times companies can be um, downgraded by a Wall Street analyst and they all of a sudden have egg on their face for some reason or other, and the company management has to deal with that. Then there's the challenges and the cost of skilled resources that you need to do the science underlying biotechnology, and those people walk home every night with your family jewels in their head, even though you have Mm -hmm. patents. And there's the high cost of research and development that's always going up. And we want to, as investors, and I'm a venture capitalist, have some kind of uh, decent return on the investment. And in the biotech and pharmaceutical sector, the timelines are so long that that's getting worse. So from an investor's standpoint, it's a very risky investment
0: very risky and I'm sure that there are days when it's fun and there are days when it's not fun. I want to make sure we get Brian Barnier in on this. Brian, we're going to just touch a little bit on what you call the four core valuation measures and talk about uh, risks to business performance. Let's just start. Let's spend about a minute talking about it. Then we're going to take a break. and When we come back, we'll continue the roundtable with you, Brian, as the lead. So just give us an idea. First of all, do you agree, disagree with what Paul's overview of risk and, and NOLA's and Then start me off on the four core evaluation measures, please.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, so they're right on. I mean, the the big issue is that all this backward-looking audit stuff just doesn't work. And to bridge into the four core pieces, what board members and CFOs listening to this need to know is that if you issue a proxy disclosure or an investor conference and say, oh, our approach to manage risk is the audit committee um, and say nothing more, you're going to get dinged on your growth rate because we're going to figure you can't maintain – uh, where you're going because you don't know how to look out for those risks that Paul and Noel have mentioned. And so the four key metrics that from an investor perspective that you know, my colleagues and I uh, look at, the first one is the risk-adjusted growth rate, assuming you're or, you know, a growth company. It's most central. And all of us analysts have to put a number, a rate on that. And if we think you don't know how to manage your risk, we've got to lower it and discount it for that. Number two, we want to be able to look at, you know, the variance in in returns that are out there and the volatility, how clearly and strongly you can perform. The third is your at the budget to actual performance. And lastly, it's how well do you make decisions that Paula and Nola mentioned. So those are the four. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, thank you. When we come back right after the break, I want to kick off and have you go a little deeper. I'm going to propose to all three of you before we take the break, maybe we need to create a new seat and the C-suite around that esteemed board table. Maybe it needs to be, oh, you're going to hate me for this, a CCO, the Chief Clairvoyant Officer. Oh, Bonnie, <laughs> how could you say that? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Financial excellence with game changers i'm speaking to brian barnier nola masterson paul albert here what a panel great ideas great insights terrific experience we put it all together i think we have a century of brain power here their experience alone you want to listen to we'll be right back after the break don't even think of touching that app brad out
1: SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers
0: financial excellence with game changers with my panel Brian Nola and Paul and I have to tell everybody that we missed one of our coffee break comments here from my co-producer and esteemed tweeter extraordinaire Malcolm Kimberlin and Malcolm says after his favorite Equators coffee alligator French he's drinking passion fruit juice fresh squeeze and I know he's in Palo Alto California so we want to hear more about that tweet more tweet more Malcolm so we're talking right now when we finished just before the break to Brian Barnier, and we are talking for Value Bridge Advisors, talking about his four core valuation measures to help boards ask the right questions. And you know, Brian, we haven't touched on the idea or the input of what regulators are saying, which was my topic for today. So let's talk a little more about these risk measures, how to evaluate, how to figure it all, how to get your sanity, if you will, and then tell me. Where do regulators come into this? Are they watching or waiting with the, the trampoline underneath the tall building for somebody to jump? OMG, is it 1930-something all over again? Or, or talk to me. So, Brian, Barnier, take it over.
4: So these four measures came out of a, an article that actually Paul and Nolan and some others were part of that we did for Corporate Board Member magazine. And the whole point was to sit back and say, how do we connect investors with the board? Because the board is in the linchpin to management. And the issue there is that so often we get this stuff that that Paul and Noel have mentioned that isn't very helpful, and we're not getting the kinds of things that an investor needs when they're sitting down there and trying to hang a price target on a company, uh, Mm -hmm. which is more around these kinds of metrics, and particularly because board members have insider information, but they can articulate things like growth through management in uh, in, uh, investor calls and forward-looking statements. But in that context, that's where... We have to be thoughtful about the weird things that are happening, the stuff that's coming out of left field. And Paul and Noel have spoken to that as well, because that's what's going to get you. When I go into some conversation, everybody's sitting back and saying, well, what's the things that keep you awake at night or the top of your list? Mm -hmm. Those are all the watched risks. It's not your chief clairvoyant officer kind of comment. Mm It's looking at what's going to get you out of left field, back to our baseball analogies and basketball analogies and all that sort of thing and why board members need to develop that skill to create these things. So, we have our four key financial metrics that can glue together investors, boards, and companies. That's only as good as our ability to see what's going on. And that's why board members and CFOs need to really be thoughtful in probing and asking, what if, what if, what if, back to my uh, opening quote. And just one example just talked to a really super smart uh, antitrust attorney this morning, Rich Brosnick at Buttsalong. He just came back from the the Bar Association's conference that's been going on all week um, on antitrust down in D.C. And he says that one of the things that people are missing is that they get companies are missing is they get into these you know, value chain management, which is a big strategic issue, get into M&As, a lot of delicate partnership issues, and they're waltzing into all kinds of antitrust issues because they're not thinking what needs to happen. And very interestingly, he said it very often happens we have some type A executive who wants to control everything. As soon as he or she does that, they break down the Chinese walls that antitrust law requires, and now you got all kind of litigation going on. And even if you prevail, you've spent gods of money uh, doing it. And they or a board member can simply ask the question, look, you know, are we letting one horse run this place without thinking about how to use a team? Or a CFO who knows these issues much more closely than a general counsel can sit back and say, you know, what are the business issues? Who's running these different conversations? And surface this stuff up and have the right kind of conversations with the, the board and the legal folks to avoid some of these things. Because to your question about regulatory, there's a lot of regulatory stuff out there that's just compliance and it's, it's waste and not much value add in the, in the great scheme of the economy. There's other things that really do have business implications to them because they've, they've tied in and it matters to investors like, say, bank capital. And then there's this third class that Rich pointed out, which can get you into a lot of trouble, but they're things that most companies don't deal with all the time, and that's why they're so likely to get slammed by them. Because it's not on the list of what keeps you up at night. And then it turns into $2 million of litigation, even if you win.
0: Brian, we haven't talked about analysis paralysis by analysis, and I, I want to give the other panelists a turn to chime in on this. So let's let's do that a little bit. How how many times a day or how many days a week does your board sit down and say, "Okay, let's cover the what ifs and let's let's worry in advance"? And Paul Albert, what did you think about my comment about a CCO chief clairvoyant officer? Was I being silly or was I on the mark there?
2: Uh, uh, no, I, I mean the terminology may be a little exotic, but I think the idea is. <laughs> (laughs) Definitely a good one. And actually, uh, let let, let me talk about uh, Digital Globe. uh, I just retired from the board after 14 years, and, you know, I started as a private company. But one of the things about risk, which, and, you know, we're talking about regulation and risk, but as far as I'm concerned, the biggest risk to private enterprise is the government itself. Uh, And not only regulation, but, I mean, in Digital Globe's case, a significant part of our business was a 10-year contract to provide the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency with digital images. Uh, digital Globe is a, a, a digital imaging company uh, with satellites in the air. Uh, each one of these cost over a half billion dollars to build mm-hmm. and launch. Um, the company's history was the first two attempts at launch were failures. So, you know, a lot of risk. But then once we got in operation, uh, that 10-year contract, any government contract is not really a contract because the government has the power to just abrogate the contract at will. And so, you know, you've got a risk overhanging you that is very hard to quantify. Uh, and investors really, you know, have a hard time quantifying it. I mean, the recent sequester has is an interesting issue. And uh, you know, any company that has a big defense-oriented kind of business uh, has been affected to some extent by mm-hmm. uncertainties. But we at, uh, at Digital Globe, we set, we created a separate risk committee away from the audit committee for some of the reasons we've been talking about, and that is, we wanted to make sure that we were focusing on the business risks and and not getting too uh, bogged down in in sort of the just internal process risk, which all companies have. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things about the frequency, uh, the, the important thing for the board is to make sure that management is really focused on risk. And actually, they have an operating committee that talks about the risks of all aspects of the business with the chief executive officer as the main chairman of that committee every single week. You know, so that's the way they kick off the week. And then the board, of course, reviewing that from time to time. Um, But our chairman of our risk committee was someone who came from the government and understood, uh, you know, the issues that the government has, which are different from private enterprise. And they don't think about their impact on the private sector and and stock market and so forth. They don't care about that. Uh, They have their own issues but we had to be concerned about how those risks were playing out in the government so this whole issue of government relations and so forth another issue we had was cyber risks because a lot of our work obviously is classified uh... you know defense oriented and sure. you know, obviously you know we were be logical candidates for various cyber attacks from various people so All these things are the kind of things that you've got to worry about uh, if you are on the risk committee of a board of a company, particularly with the kind of sensitivities we had.
0: Thank you, Paul. I want to cover, I want to go in a slightly different direction. We may have tapped on it at some point, but I want to focus on it. And I want Nola, I want your opinion on this, please. Uh, I'm going to take a talking point Paul sent me, and I'm going to ask Nola to run with this. Unmonitored media disparagement. We all know what that is. We know that the customer is screaming, yelling, shouting, whatever their POV is from the top of their little social media lungs or their big social media lungs today. So the comment is, unmonitored media disparagement might ruin a company's reputation. Here's the risk point maybe before the company even gets wind of it so let's take that one first in the biopharmaceuticals field nola how big is the risk of social media damaging your app what do you think
3: well there's two sides to that one is Your product, and there are people talking about your product, or two, are they talking about your pricing policies? Because Uh I think pharmaceutical companies are very uh, sensitive and actually very vulnerable to pricing uh, attacks at social media level because there's different grades of uh, pricing in different parts of the world for the exact same product. And a lot of that goes with the government regulations, Medicare, Medicaid, but it also goes with what is appropriate in England through NICE, what is appropriate in Germany, what's being sold in the third world countries, and do they get the same product, and should we go to Canada to buy our products? So pricing is a real sensitive issue, I think, on the social media sites for pharmaceutical companies.
0: NOLA, can a reputation be, in fact, damaged if too much social media goes out where people are saying, well, let's all take a bus across the border from New York to Canada this weekend because we know we can save 40 percent on blah, 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 and grandma needs it back in Ohio? Is that something that's going to make a difference? Are people going to run with that? Are there going to be all kinds of rumors floating around the net, and, and Snopes is going to have to put an article out on it and set everything right? What do you think? How dangerous is it? What big risk or little risk does it pose?
3: Well, the big the, the big risk is really how 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 are you going to source your drugs, and are these life-saving drugs absolutely necessary? So uh, you know th- that and and is somebody repackaging your drugs to sell them at a cheaper rate, and therefore they're ah. not getting the same drug if you went to Canada? So that's the kind of thing that has to be made very clear, and that's where you can get muddied information on social media, and I would not want to get my my life-saving information from social media about where to buy my drugs
0: very very good point i have one more question before we go to break nola i'm going to throw this at you because i haven't heard from you enough in this segment poor selection of management by the board can be devastating and the example is hp does that happen in your world nola masterson Poor selection at the board of the board of management by the board what do you think (laughs) it happens every day uh, uh, my my favorite expression
3: is the CEO position is a temporary position. You just don't know how temporary it it will be.
0: <laughs> Ooh, okay. Talk about not sleeping at night. That's a that's an interesting one. You know what? I'm going to take us to break. I want my esteemed panel: Nola Masterson, Paul Albert, and Brian Barnier to think about. Start taking out that chamois, kids, and polishing off the crystal ball. We've had some great information shared here. I want you to look ahead. Five years or however far out your crystal ball will let you see on a clear day. I could see forever. I want you to take a look, and when we come back after break, I want you to tell me what risk board risk and company risk and pharmaceuticals risk and any kind of risk will be like what kind of strides will enterprises have made or not in the next five years on managing risk i'm bonnie d graham this is financial excellence with game changers we'll be right back for the final segment you don't want to miss these predictions this is gold we'll be right back don't even think of touching that app brad out
1: SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers.
0: Reminder for my game changer listeners if you're looking for enterprise grade mobile apps that deliver secure information when and where you need it, go to our page on the Business Channel, click any banner, and you'll go to a page with 10 goodies. They're all free, lots of great information playbooks, infographics, ebooks, white papers, calculation tools, and look for the one on. Aberdeen Group White Paper on Secure Delivery of Email, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want to miss that one. I'm speaking today to Paul Albert, Nolan Masterson, and Brad Bardier. Guess what? It's time for our closing segment. We're going to look ahead into the future, and I'm going to ask Paul Albert. During the break, did you polish off that crystal ball, Paul? And how far ahead can you see on our topic today, a board risk oversight? Paul, talk to me. Okay, well I'm going to
2: talk a little bit from my, my investor perspective, maybe not exclusive from my board perspective, but mm-hmm. one of the things that concerns me, and this relates to enterprise risk management, I think that there's an expectation, and maybe it's more at the regulator and government side, but I think the general public and even investors, that somehow enterprise risk management means that you never suffer the any kind of uh, risk events and losses, and that, therefore, if you do, that somehow that indicates that the board and the management aren't doing their job. And that's entirely contrary to this whole concept that uh, risk versus reward, you have to run risks. Sometimes you take losses. Uh, and uh, that kind of expectation is not realistic, but it means that I think the, the concept that the board is representing the shareholders and their interests is starting to be undermined by some kind of perspective that the board's fiduciary duty is not just to the shareholders, but it's somehow it's to the public, it's to the employees, it's to the customer. And, of course, we care about those people because you can't have a business without it. But when you start thinking that way, I think it really starts to undermine the the free enterprise system that has benefited the U.S. I um, mean, you see it a little bit in Europe with with the, uh, quotas for the boards in in Germany. My wife is German. In Germany, they have a concept of a supervisory board where you know labor has a a, a specific seat, the government has a specific seat. I hope we don't go that way in the U.S., but I'm afraid that we might be headed more in that kind of direction. And I think it is really a, a, a really a, a lack of understanding by the regulators particularly about one, what enterprise risk management means. And when you have some of these disasters that they're not necessarily indications of malfeasance or incompetence, They're just natural events in the private enterprise system. And I'm not sure we have an understanding of that, and I'm afraid that reversing that thinking is maybe going to be hard to do over the next five years.
0: Thank you very much, Paul. And let's go to Nola Masterson. Nola, how far ahead can you see? Give me the time frame, and what's in your crystal ball today? Well,
3: to Paul's question, I see more women sitting on boards of directors overall. I think yes. women have been uh, missing in the boardroom, and I think uh, I will quote uh, the Oracle of Omaha, who said, "I have no worries about the 21st century because I think the American women will finally take their place at at the at the table, meaning that it would be you would see more women on the boards." In terms of what's happening over the next five years, the aging population, I believe, will begin to spend less on consumer goods and more on medical and self-help goods because health will become paramount because if you don't have your health, you're not going to enjoy quality of life. I think in the next five years, we're going to see worldwide prescription drug sales reach about $885 billion. And I think that Novartis will lead the pack in terms of companies in 2018. So those are my crystal balls.
0: Wow. And I I heard recently a statistic, Nola, that about – and tell me if I'm wrong, about 50% of graduate schools for law and medicine are now admitting women to their graduate programs, but we still have a dearth of women at the boardroom table and in the C-suite. So I agree with you, and it's time, isn't it, Nola? It's an idea whose time has come. Uh, Many women have earned that. So let's see what happens. I like your prediction a lot, and thank you for that. Let's turn to Brian Barnier. Brian? Five years ahead, how far out can you see? How clear is it in your crystal ball view today?
4: Well, first, I have to compliment Nola because she really was a female leader in biotech. And and my daughter is in biochem right now, and and I've been telling her about Nola for the last two years. So she's having a huge effect.
0: We have a star here. We have a star on the panel. Nola, thank you. And, um, but as
4: far as the crystal ball goes, it's, uh, to the audience, it's, it's in your hands to change. We've got a lot of problems out there. I recently chaired the audit committee of a board that I just left, and we've completely revamped our audit policy before I, I, I wrapped it up as my last sort of service. And it struck me how amazingly different audit is from real risk management. And Let me just give a few examples to people, to mm-hmm. CFOs and board members listening, to understand why it's important to do what Paul and Nola mentioned first remember BP Texas City Refinery Explosions and Deepwater Horizons both of those they were actually at that time getting awards for great safety in the plants and then explosions occurred they were looking at the wrong things if you want more on that you can read reports from like the National Transportation Safety Board or the Chemical Safety Board they've got all these things like the Missouri Eurocopter crash recently that killed those EMS workers what were they thinking that led to that the HP autonomy issue, the, the Mizu Bank in Japan, that sort of cascading failure back during the tsunami. Those were examples that were there that people should, should get their head wrapped around. Another thing I see when I look at acquisitions and I go into a deal room and I see some company talking about their lean initiative, it's window dressing to say we're cutting our costs so, so much we're not leaving the new acquirer with capacity to go someplace. You know, it's a bad thing. Um, as far as looking forward, We can think through a lot of these things with what ifs. And I love to quote uh, General Pogonis from the first Gulf War who ran 80,000 people doing logistics. And he used about 10 or 12 of those to keep asking what if. And he can say, by the end of the thing, I can honestly say we were never surprised because we were always asking what if. And that's why I also recommend guidance from things like the International Corporate Governance Network uh, where they've got their risk uh, guidelines out there. And I sit on the committee that puts those together. So these are things that board members and CFOs can use to help, ask what if to avoid the issues of Paul and Noel for mentioning.
0: Thank you very much. Great insights from all of you. And guess what? I have predictions of my own, but mine are easy because they're all written down. I'm going to predict what's coming up next week and the week after right here on Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. Next week, Tuesday, April 16th, we're going to be talking about performance management. Some of you know it is EPM, stepping stone to predictive analytics. The following week, Tuesday, April 23rd live, we'll be talking about mobility from the financial Office of the Finance. Perspective, And on our other series, which is Wednesdays live at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern, which is where I am, Coffee Break with Game Changers. Great topic coming up next week, April 17th, Defying Gravity. Hmm, what's she talking about? SME, Small to mid sized Enterprises, Go Global. We'll be talking about SME concerns and opportunities in developed and emerging countries. And that's a great topic, good panel. We'll be talking to someone, Aviva Freudman from the EIU on that, talking about some of their research papers. And April 24th, you don't want to miss this one, People Who Need People, caregiving apps go social and mobile, and the show will be in honor of Autism Awareness Month. I have to do a thank you to my wonderful panel. Great insights, great energy, great sharing. I learned so much from each of you and all of you together. You all played really well in the Financial Excellence Sandbox today. Paul Albert, thank you. Nola Masterson, thank you. Brian Barnier, thank you very much. And shout-outs to... Aaron Hughes, to Malcolm Kimberlin, to Michael Lords and the Business Channel team. And here's my call to action for everybody listening today. Wherever you are, whatever you're drinking, whatever risks you're dealing with or hiding from, hmm, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you soon. This has been Financial Excellence with Game Changers for, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Bye-bye. <music>
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.